0: and welcome to the latest edition of the Gersnet Weekly Podcast, the Independent Rangers Podcast, which is brought to you by fans for fans and where the content is absolutely free. It is episode 201 eh, of the flagship show. I'm your host tonight, eh, I'm Colin Armstrong. See every week, guys, it's not just the pod that we do here at, uh, at Net. If you get yourself onto the website, you'll find the forums there. Articles. There's articles. There's a history archive on the website as well. Get yourself on that, and um, we'd also ask you to subscribe to the YouTube channel and put the word out there on social media and stuff like that. Tell everybody uh, that we're here. Uh, before I get started, I'll have to mention one of our partners at uh, Football Prizes. Uh, they're currently offering you the opportunity to win a Ryan Kent signed custom Frames Rangers shirt. Uh, there's 149 tickets at three pound ninety five, uh, and it's 29th of September. That's this Wednesday. Yeah, so next week, this Wednesday, eh, the draw is made. So if you fancy that, get yourself on to www.footballprizes.co.uk eh, and have a wee look at that. Eh, so bring my guests in. Eh, we've got we've got an extra guest tonight. So I'll, I'll, I'll go with the regulars first eh, and then I'll, then I'll bring Adam in. Eh, so
1: I've got eh, David Fraser and Stuart Weir. David, how are you? Evening listeners. Uh, evening going I'm um, not too bad. Just trying uh, to get myself through the international break, I no, managed, no. managed to take on the ladies on Tuesday night against Ben but well, unfortunately, they, they couldn't hold on and get a, a draw.
0: It's, uh, I, I was at Polk yesterday, I didn't see you, you know, there now.
1: I was, aye, I, was I was indeed. Were you, were you in your usual spot? Uh, aye, I was in the centre, of, well, maybe no since the time I bumped into you. No, I, yeah. My usual uh, spot before lockdown. I was on
0: the point and a half early in the enclosure. Aye, because me and my mate walked around, we were sort of under the just behind the the, the Clyde Bank dugout actually. I don't oh even look over. I couldn't I couldn't see you, so I must have just missed you. No bad game. Quite enjoyed it. Must admit.
1: Better than watching
0: Scotland. That's for, that's for sure. Not really
1: better.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we've also got uh, Stuart Weir joining us tonight. Hi, Stuart. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Just to correct you, the 29th of September is actually Thursday. Is it Thursday? Yeah, 29th of September in 2004. AC Milan beat Celtic by three goals to one. Andrey Shevchenko scoring twice um, against uh, Celtic on his birthday that year. Um, so just I just know that fact because a certain Callum Weir arrived the same day. And for a split second, almost was registered as Andrey Shvetsenko. <laughs> but I managed—I managed to steer clear of that, and therefore uh, didn't incur the wrath of uh, his mother. So no, everything's good. Uh, are you getting through the international break, Okay, enjoying it? Or are you pissed off with the rest of us? I—if anybody follows me on Twitter, they will know I have a stock uh, Alan Partridge shrug of the shoulders. Um, you know, and and yeah. last night, last night, kind of took the the turnouts teacake a wee bit because you'd all these people saying, you know, wasn't that fantastic performance by Scotland? Uh, and then, of course, I was the killjoy who said, yeah, they're just running into decent form in time for Qatar.
0: Yeah.
2: Um. So it's exactly where we are with Scottish football just now. You know, it's like it's like winning the sort of Gala Day tournament and think you've qualified for Europe. It ain't. You know it ain't that it ain't happening that quickly. Um, so until such time we start qualifying again for the world cups, then I might take an interest thereafter.
0: It's, I, I've got to be honest with you, me and my mate were talking about it yesterday.
2: I, I went
0: you know, my mate Paul who, to watch Paul, as I said, and, like he, he used to go to the Scotland games quite he, Even He was like, What is this nation's league? He said, I don't even know what it is, and I was kind of like, I, I don't either. To be honest with you, I, don't, I don't pay that much attention. The only time I really pay attention to international football is when. The big tournaments come along in the summer. I've got to say, I, I don't even think I'm going to be that interested in the World Cup this year either because it just feels like a bit of a shit show with being in Qatar and being at Christmas and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, international I football, uh, not for me. But anyway, we'll move on. We'll, we'll move on to the, uh, the rest of the show and we'll bring in Adam because we're going to talk first about uh, Adam's book. It's Adam Thornton for the Hearts and uh, Hearts and Hand, uh, the Hartman podcast. <laughs> <A> different one. <laughs> that's, that's a different podcast uh, So, Adam, do you want to just give us a wee breakdown and what your book's about? And, and it's obviously it's Gerard's Blueprints, in the name of the book. You know, it's obviously focusing on Gerard's time in the club, but I think it's looking more at the sort of tactical stuff behind what he and his team were doing.
3: Yeah. So, thanks for having me on. First of all, um, yeah, you're right. It's it's basically the three years as I saw it from when. Gerard took over uh until we won uh fifty-five. Um the the journey that it uh, is a tactical evolution, but I guess also the the journey the entire club went on. If we think back to the last game of the, the previous era, it was that five each draw with Hibs under Jimmy Nichol in yeah. May twenty eighteen, which was was chaos. Um so I think it's easy to forget sometimes how low things were at that point. Um Rangers had finished third two seasons in a row. Um that last starting eleven had Russell Martin, David Bates, Jason Cummings up front, Sean Goss, Jordan Rossiter, Jason Holt. Um, <laughs> that's me done. Um, <laughs> bit, and then when we played Scoopy and Gerard's first game, there was only three or four players that actually make the starting eleven: um, Tavernier, Daniel Candish, Jamie Murphy. Um, although there's obviously a few that aren't in the squad, etc. But it's a, it's a massive turnaround, um, even just in a summer. Um so I wanted to kind of talk about I guess where it came from first of all, and then from there the book's really split into three parts. First part's all about the the sort of tactics and the methodology that, that Gerard and Michael Beale, etc., put into place, their influences from Liverpool, obviously, but Michael Beale's case, Chelsea as well, even further back, Bobby Robson, Johann Cruyff, um obviously there's lots of Rafa Benitez and, and gerard really influences and in, in what Gerard does. So um that Kind of first part of it is is all about that, all about setting up. Um, and then the second part is the sort of formation evolution. I think most people will probably still say, oh, I just played a four three three, and that was it. Um, there's kind of nuances in there that I, I kind of bring out in terms of how things changed, how players came in to the team um, that would then change how we play. Um, and then the third part of it is all about the players, really. The, the evolution of Morelos, for example, in those three years was, was huge. What Tavernier was doing when he... When Gerard came in versus what Tavernier was doing when Gerard left, there's yeah. a whole different tactical evolution there. So we kind of go through it in three parts, um, and that's broadly um, the, the setup of the book.
0: I, I mean, in terms of, I mean, obviously, Gerard's you know, he's, he's been away about a year now, or whatever. Mm. A lot of chat around, he's slightly turned it around a wee bit at the moment, but there was a lot of chat, and it looks like he was going to lose his job, and, and a lot of people were putting that down to Michael Beale. Moving on, you I mean, yeah. do you cover that in the book? I mean, his importance, Michael Beale's importance in the whole thing.
3: Yeah, I think I can't remember who who did the review, but one of the sentences in it was, "This is basically a love letter to Michael Beale." And to be honest, I had <laughs> I had absolutely no comeback on it. They weren't they weren't far wrong. Um, I say in the book, Gerard was the manager to me in the way that Walter Smith was the manager. He he's the absolute gaffer. However he would defer training to Michael Beal he made no bones about that he said it would take him 20 years to be as good as an on-pitch coach as, as Michael Beal was because that's the experience Michael Beal has he's just that person Um, so he's happy to defer on certain parts of it to him obviously Jard was still the, the main man and if standards weren't being met or something wasn't up to the standards that they expected they would step in etc so there is a good amount about both of them, certainly in terms of that, that tactical methodology part. Um, quite a lot of the things that, that we see, um, are uh, in terms of, you remember back to the start of 2018 when we would go down to 10 men every week near enough and we played that, that 4-3-2 uh, away to Aberdeen. I think in the first game of the season, we played like in a kind of 4-3-2. Those type of things have been ideas that have been on Michael Beale's blogs and Michael Beale spoken about in, in various mm-hmm. coaching courses throughout the, the years. So, the tactical side of it, I do give them both their due, but I think it's it's very clear from even Gerard's own words that he sort of deferred the bulk of that to Michael Buhl. Um So in terms of Villa, obviously he had him there for a bit. He's pretty much replaced him, I think, with the next best thing as far as Gerrard is concerned, which is Neil Pitchley, who was doing very, very well at Blackpool. And he got them promoted and he got them up. He kept them safe in the Championship on a pretty low budget. He's obviously Liverpool academy alumni as well. So in essence, he's probably replaced them like for like in terms of a tactical coach that he knows. Um, But you're right, it's not going great at all. I don't think Dilla fans were too enthused anyway. Um, I don't think Liverpool heroes down there are really um, heroes to anybody outside of Liverpool. So he was always kind of fighting fighting an uphill battle there. Um, And it was always going to be interesting to me to see how this kind of Philosophy information would work when you're trying to play it mostly against uh, teams that are probably better than you. So it's yeah. interesting to see how it's how it's playing out.
0: I mean, in terms of Michael Beale, I mean, you said there was a love letter to, to Beale, and I mean, I, I can understand why. I mean, and I'm not downplaying Gerard's influence here at all, not at all. I mean, yeah. I, I love the guy. I kind of fell out with him for a wee bit the way he left us, but that's gone. You know, time healed that. I've, I've seen a lot of people online talking about well oh, Michael Beale could be the next coach but my, my concern is if he does such a good job with QPR then the, the next job will be a bigger job than Rangers
3: yeah no, I think you're, right. I think you're spot on um, he's doing very well I, I don't know the QPR budgets etcetera, down there but to have them I think it's six just now given he's a brand new coach they've not spent any money I don't think I think it's mostly been pre-transfers and loans obviously Leon Balogun came in the other week as well to, to have them sixth in, in that league very, very early doors down there, mind you. But to have them sixth in that league, I think, is, is really good. And you're right, even a, a decent season getting them into the playoffs, there will be clubs um absolutely barring the door down. I think the most the most trodden route in football is players and managers going from the championship to the premiership, which you wouldn't you wouldn't necessarily think. So it's it's definitely the market that the, the EPL looks at in the first instance. And if he's doing well, he's obviously got that background. down. He's, people will know that he's done all the work he's done at Rangers as well so he's got European experience as well um, yeah it could be it could be a case of um, too, too late really if he, if he does a good job yeah. down there it might be that he gets that gig yeah. uh,
0: and, and in terms of the sort of transition uh, Adam I'll, I'll, I'll make this the last question for you and, and, and then you can go and get your Sunday night back thank you the what you're seeing now with what Gio's doing the tactical stuff there how do you compare that with Gerard and and do you think that's the main problem at the moment, that the, the tactics it seems that he's employing seem to be too conservative, that he's maybe paying too much respect to, to teams
3: uh, domestically? It's funny, I've kind of... So this book nearly ended me, if I'm honest. Because, <laughs> because I I finished it um, pretty much a year to the day ago, um, mid-October. Uh, I finished it. Um first first draft anyway, sent it away. And then literally about 10 days later he quit and left. And I was like, Oh, what am I going to do here? Uh, so uh, uh. took stock, spoke to the publisher, redrafted it, put everything in the past tense, was able to add a bit more closure and depth and, and all that sort of stuff to it. Um so I've had sort of time to think about the differences between the two, I guess, in terms of what Gerard was doing. And it wasn't perfect at all. I just felt like there was a story there from as I said, the start. To winning 55 and then anything that happened after that people can debate about whether that devalues what we did winning 55 or whether it means that Gerard isn't as fondly remembered as, as he could be that's not what the book's about it's not really my place to, to talk through that but um, it's been interesting watching people switch because you're right what you mentioned there about forgiving them because in the early days of Bronckhorst people were falling over themselves to see how much better it was than Gerard, I remember that this is so flexible this is great we never had this before and and then it's funny how results just cloud everything because as soon as the results change they're like this is too flexible we're changing for every single opposition we're too cautious we're doing this why is that happening so it's quite funny to watch people sort of evolution of of their opinion based on results and I'm the same Uh, as soon as there's a bad result I'm like this is terrible this isn't working we should change to this we should change to that so in terms of Ambronkos I'm I'm not too sure Because for me The European run Kind of trumps everything I think people Will say that for last year That sort of trumps everything In terms of The season that we had last year And and losing the league From the point that we had up Was it six points clear I think we were in in January So that kind of trumps it On that side But domestically I think you're probably right I think there are too many occasions It was the same with Gerard In the first couple of seasons Where we had the handbrake on too much We maybe didn't create enough We were to um, intent on not conceding goals. And I think that's a big thing when Van Bronckers came in about keeping the zero. Um, we're not really doing that anymore, but we're also not scoring enough. So in terms of the tactical play, um, I don't see lots that I think is uh, amazing. I think I'm probably on record as saying I'm, I'm not quite sure we'll win the league based on the squad that we've got at the minute. Um, albeit we all have some players coming back from, from injuries, etc. But I don't see the kind of repetitions and the... Automations and how Barisic, Kent, and Kamara worked to each other under Gerard. How Tavernier and and Arfield and Roof worked to each other under under Gerard. I don't see much of that under Van Bronckhorst. There's, there's for me, there's every every game is unique. He's catering to an opposition, but then we're also playing in a completely unique way every single time. There's no, like I said, repetitions. The team changes so much. So difficult difficult to get um, a, a bit of familiarity in there as well. And I think we see that and we struggle with that as well. Um, that's not to say there's not been some good things. Obviously, PSV, Trolak scoring, Tom Lawrence coming in uh, are things that have been really good this season. But um, in terms of the differences between the two, I think it is probably just that. Gerard had his style. He would tweak it, but ultimately it wouldn't change for anybody. Whereas Van Bronckhorst seems to be a lot more flexible, which has worked very well in Europe. But you could argue that we probably don't need to be that flexible in Scotland. We should really just be able to go out 7-8, mm times out of 10 and we've got the best players let's go and play take the handbrake off so um, there are some differences there but it's, it's just interesting that kind of full circle of opinion that's happened in basically 11 months or so
2: I just yeah. cross the examination here um, <laughs> just, just, just. I'm interested in Mike, uh, Michael Beale, who's suddenly become Mick Beale since he ever since he moved to Loftus Road. Yep. And I, I keep having it, it's a double take every time you know I'm listening to or I'm on Talk Sport and somebody refers to Mick Beale, and I'm kind of like, who is this guy? Uh, just, just, a it's a, a, a quite a, a a broad question or even statement. But under Gerard, did did Rangers? Fall into the formation that he preferred because of the players that he signed, or did he sign the Pacific players to play a particular formation? Because there was a bit, a few times during his tenure at Ibrooks where I couldn't make up my mind whether he signed the wrong players for the right positions, so to speak, and and then had to sort of mould them into into. Performing particular roles Or particular jobs I think what you said there About about Van Bronckhorst Being a kind of fluid system I thought there was A lot of fluidity as well At times With Gerard Until he got it Working the way He wanted it to work
3: So that's the interesting thing Is because we don't have Anything before We can't look back on Gerard As a manager before And say Oh he did this He did that Now Aston Villa He's playing exactly The same way As he played at Rangers So I guess we can assume we can assume that. However, in the first season, if you remember, we had uh, obviously Katic playing as left centre-back. We had John Flanagan at left-back. Mostly Olobarisic was yeah. there. Um, we had guys like Ross McCrory or, or Koulibaly playing as a sort of midfield destroyer. We had wingers and Kandias and Kent. Um, I think, when was it Morelos got sent off, didn't he, at Parkhead? And, and we then had to play the four. So we then came up with the idea of let's move Kent and Arfield in and play them kind of behind the Defoe so they can link together. So I think there's a bit of both there, Stuart. I think there's reacting to injuries, suspensions, etc. but then players coming in. For example, Stephen Davis and Glenn Kamara came in, so they're going to play different to how Ross McCrory and Koulibaly play naturally. So you play to their strengths and you then make that sort of midfield three that we had with Jack that was so strong. Um, Baris each coming back to form, Philip Hellander coming in as well. Again, those two naturally left-footed are going to play in a different way to Flanagan and Katich kind of regardless of ability. They're going to play in a different way. So it means that you can then open up that left side and you can attack um, a bit better. So one of the, one of the um, stories or the, the games that I mentioned in the book is when Lennon came to park came to Ibrooks and they beat us 2-0. Um and their strategy that day was basically just to to press Katic and Flanagan on the ball on that left-hand side. I think you remember Edward kicked the ball right from from kickoff into our corner and they just swarmed them. Um as soon as Barisic and Hellander came into the team, that was kind of impossible then because they were both left-footed, they're comfortable on the ball, they could get forwards. You could argue we've probably evolved the team so much that maybe even Barisic and Helander aren't as good on the ball as we would like them to be now, given how how far we've came. Um, so I think there's a bit of both, but but certainly I think by by the end or, or by that 55 season, he had just about perfected how he wanted that shape to look. And then it was just sort of bringing in some flexibility. You mentioned like Joe Arriba coming in and then we'll, we'll play him left back, or we'll play him right wing or we'll play him in central midfield or we'll play him up front. And he sort of brings flexibility on his own because he's such a clever player, could play many positions he can do lots of different things So, I think ultimately he probably had an idea in his head of how he wanted it to look, but whether it was waiting on players coming in, whether it was waiting on the team getting up to speed in the tactics etc, I'm not sure, that's the, the interesting part, but I do try and explain or, or go into some detail on on why I think things happened uh, as we go through the chapters in the book um, but ultimately it gets to that point as we all know, the, what ended up as the precession to 55, where the team were Banging form everybody was contributing Morelos chipped in Kumar Roof chipped in haji chipped in um all these players coming in giving sort of flexibility within that structure to me was was the key thing for for winning the title
0: one final question and I'm, I'm sorry I lied when I said earlier on no, the right. last one <laughs> uh, <laughs> like you said like toward towards the end yeah. you know Writing the book, you just got it finished off, and then you got that word that you'd left, and you had to take it back and redraft it and put a lot of stuff in the back, the sort of past tense. You know, thinking of that tense, what do you think Gerard's impact in the club has been? How will he be viewed historically? I mean, as I said earlier on, I had the hump when he left, and I was really pissed off for him, but but I mean, I'm over that now. And I, and I look at him and I think, you know, it's him that picked us up and, and dusted us down and, and made us a, a big, big club again. That's how I view it. How how do you view Gerard's uh, time at the Angels?
3: Exactly the same, I guess. I'm not sure if it's if it was a Stockholm syndrome thing from literally doing a podcast every week talking about how this was built, and then like you said, doing thinking eighty thousand words and probably eighty thousand hours into, into writing about it. So, um, I think I'm always going to look back on it quite fondly because I think we achieved something great. But even if you look off the pitch, like you said, you think about. Um, all the staff that you brought up, you think about the way that they kitted out Ibrox to meet what Gerard wanted in terms of an elite club. I think they knocked down, they, they made little player-specific rooms within the stadium. and howie, they got up to speed, etc. Even the money coming in from Europe, uh, I would imagine would have allowed us to do so many things in terms of mm-hmm. infrastructure and all that sort of stuff. So, um, I'm just too young for for soonest. Um, well, maybe about five five or six years too young for soonest, but. Uh, to me, I don't know. I think when Souness went for Liverpool, I'm, I'm pretty sure I've certainly heard from my dad that reaction was was mixed as well, and that in that sense probably similar to how how you're saying about Gerard. And I think people can feel the way that they want to feel. For me, I was obviously pretty gutted about it, but I was kind of starting to come to the opinion just based on that start to the season last season that. Maybe the three or four, maybe the three four years was was enough, and you want to move on, and you want to recharge, and you want to reset. So, I hadn't quite resigned myself to it; it was still a shock. But I was maybe just starting to think maybe that next summer coming up would have been um, would have been a decent little four year spell for him to go. So, um, for me, I think he has to be remembered as as like you said, as someone who won what I think is one of the most important titles uh, we've ever won, um, bringing us back to the European stage as well. I think obviously Van Bronckhorst completely surpassed it, but again. That incremental thing of getting to the group stages that first year, which was unbelievable, then going past it, then going past it again, and sort of bringing in that bedrock. Um, and you think all the players that he brought in and the money that we've went on to make in terms of some of those players, players who have only came because of um, Gerard or, or Bill. Really, yeah. there's quite there's quite a few of them there in terms of the Liverpool connection or even the London connection from Michael Bill. I think it will be a few years. Before we really realise the impact And hopefully we go on and we're mega successful And it's just an impact that isn't as good As what we see in the next couple of years But um, for me I think it's really really important And I think like you said It, it kind of kicks off what we hope is A very successful um, 5, 10, 15 years that we've got um, But it definitely got us back to where I would consider um, Us that we deserve to be So for, for that I think I'll, I'll always be thankful for it Yeah I no would
0: agree uh, So where can we get this book? You, I'm looking can it I, here on Amazon.
3: It's £10.75 t- it's on Amazon, but is, have you got a website where it's uh, better? Point, it is £10.75 on Amazon. They don't really do me any favours, um, <laughs> to be honest. But So
0: is, is there a better website to get it off?
3: Yeah, if you would like to buy it direct, I can sign it. I'm not sure if that's an incentive. There's probably going to be less <laughs> unsigned than there is signed uh, direct from me, but um, you can buy it on Heart and Hand website. So it's heartandhand.co.uk forward slash Gerards Blue Blueprint. If you would like to buy it, I can get it sent out. Uh, no bother at all. But Amazon, Waterstones, W. Smiths, wherever anybody gets it, the cheapest is, is absolutely fine. There you go.
0: Thank you, Adam. That's great. Uh, so that's Gerard's Blueprint uh, The Tactical Philosophy Behind Rangers 55th Title Triumph uh, by Adam Thornton there. Uh, thanks for joining us, Adam.
3: No worries. A pleasure. Thank and you. Good, good luck with the book. Cheers. Bye bye.
0: Right, hey guys, before we go on, uh, I'll need to mention our other partners. Uh, hold on, I'll pull up my file here. Uh, at Forest Precision Engineering, who are a subcontract, uh, Glasgow-based engineering company. Uh, they've been a big commercial supporter of the club for many years. They also have a, a stunning new lounge within the hospitality area at the main stand, so you can you can go and visit that if you, if you fancy that. Uh, email the club at hospitality at rangers.co.uk Alright okay. hey, guys, on to the rest of the agenda for tonight David, I'll come to you first uh, I thought it would be a good a good time to sort of do a The season so far sort of discussion In terms of where we are and what we're doing uh, You know, it's international break It seems like a, an appropriate time to sort of take, take stock And you know, it, it feels kind of weird Because you know, we're only two points off Celtic you know, we've qualified for the Champions League. You know, I think if we Obviously, being behind Celtic is never ideal, but, you know, it's only two points. It's not the end of the world. You know, I think if, if somebody said that to me in the summer, you know, come the first international break, because the first old firm game has been at Celtic Park, you're always sort of looking that it's, it's going to be, it's going to be a, a hard going. So you could lose that one. You know, so if somebody said to me, two points behind come the first international break in September-October time, and you've qualified for the Champions League, I'd have been like, well, that seems okay, that seems pretty decent. But it somehow doesn't feel like that, if you know what I mean. It feels like there's a lot of negativity around the club and, and about the team and about performances and stuff like that. So it seems like it's a, it's a bit of a strange position to be in. I think the
1: Colin. I think the, I think the average punter more concerned with the style of play and how... Um, I don't think lethargic is the right word, but... It, there just doesn't seem to be, you know, it doesn't seem to be a happy ship. There's, there's, something, yeah. there's something strange about the whole situation. I mean, it's, obviously, losing players of the magnitude that uh, Joe Arebo, um and Calvin Bassett on the form they were, were showing last season, it's going to be big. Um, I can remember last season a lot of guys. Mentioning about Joe Arriba, saying I get him to hold another performance in big games, but I think I think it's it's fair to say that in the, the game so far last season, I think Joe Arribo's absence has been keenly felt. Certainly so from my perspective, I, in terms of holding the ball and allowing the team to move up uh, as a unit, uh, I think Joe Arribo's is his contribution has, has been sorely felt. Another lack thereof. Um, certainly the Cameron Bassett. The, the, the dynamism that, that he had um, is, you know, is, is lacking. Uh, I think there's... there's, there's you know, it's hard to put your finger on it, Colin. I think the, the players, to me, they don't look happy in the look. Uh, I don't know... I yeah. can't be part of the wrong tree. Um, people have said that they look fat. It's, you know, I... I am a I don't want to look too much into it. I, I don't think there's there is maybe as is, um, is dynamic from a physical perspective as they've the been in the past. Um, I don't know why you put that down to anyone. I've heard that in pre-season that there wasn't as much running work done. There was more ball, more, more ball work was done. Oh, well, that's true or not, but you would like to think that, that the guys and Geo's team, background team, you know, really stand for a lack of fitness. So, But to come to the, the point, aye, I, I tend to agree with you that you know, we're only two points off the top of the league. Um, we've qualified for the Champions League, which is obviously the, one of the, the main um, the main targets for the season. We've done that, got the money in. Um doesn't seem to have been spent enough, but I guess we'll come to that later on the show. Uh, yeah. So, aye, look, at, at this juncture, would I take me two points off Celtic and still be on the hunt and be the Champions League groups? Aye, of course you would. Of course, you would. I'm just more concerned about who we are going in terms of the play. You know, there's just something that's not quite, quite there. Colin. I don't know what it is. It's, it's probably, there's probably a multitude of factors to explain it a bit, but I think from a fan's perspective, I think there's legitimate concerns eh, that still need to be addressed You know, from the perspective that fans need to see something more concrete going forward to think that look, there's, there's something better than the road. I think it's fair to say that. It's
0: sure. I mean, I, I was sitting, I was when I was working on the agenda today, I was sort of sitting breaking it down into sort of pros and cons. And so the pros that I can think of were, you know, you know, Cholaks obviously came in, hit the ground running, scoring goals, and it kind of feels like finally we have someone who's who can push Morelos in terms of challenging them for that for that number nine position. With Tom Lawrence has sort of hit the ground running as well, and obviously they've qualified for the Champions League the cons you were like well there was two horrific performances at Celtic Park and in the Amsterdam Arena you know you're, as, as David's alluded to there but sort of geo's playing style it's, it's no that pretty to watch uh, you know the lackey. the, the the, the use of the new signings, you know, the, the last few teams, it's almost like Gerard's teams, you know what I mean? There's, there's hardly any new signings getting played at the moment. You know, you've had the, the Morelos incident where he was he was basically chucked to the, the side and told to get fit. There's rumours the other players having wee moments of indiscipline uh, uh, and stuff like that. As David says, it, it, it kind of feels like it's not a happy camp at the moment. So when I broke it down, there was more cons than there was pros, is probably the point I'm coming to.
2: Yeah, no, no, I would I would agree with what you're saying there and I would agree equally with what some of the, the, the observations that David made there. I think I think there's a desperation about Rangers and their performances and I think if they get the result there is a a relief there rather than there being a celebration. I I I don't see that any being any kind of you know, spring in that. Rangers side, are there any buzz about them? They seem to be um, struggling to do the basics. And one of the basics I would say is that if you've got a team full of better players than the opposition, you should be winning easier than, than you have done. You know, I, I know you cannot compare light with light, otherwise there'd be a hell of a lot of rich people out there when it came to predicting football matches. But if you see what Celtic did to Dundee United, and then what Rangers managed to achieve against Dundee United, you know I know Dundee United are never going to lose or ship that amount of goals again. But it was almost like Rangers made it easy for them by maybe a lack of desp- you know, a lack of enthusiasm and and get the job done. This team, if they score a goal or get a couple of goals, will take the points, and they were, they were satisfied at that. Whereas I think. You know, as David again said earlier, I think performance level, you're looking for Rangers to turn in the kind of performance that is not based on them having to win a game to qualify for the Champions League. You're looking for them to turn in those kind of performances against the likes of Motherwell or Hibbs or St. John's or whoever it is is might be playing, just because they can do it. And, they, and they've not done that yet. You know, I think the, the positives for Rangers this season um Chola is, uh, and, and his goals is one. The other two are totally financially based. One, the money they made out of the the sales, and I and I think Aribo is one of these guys who struggled to convince a lot of Rangers fans. But when you take him out of that team, you suddenly actually realise the role that he performed and what he actually did for the team. I mean, getting into it last season. A matter of ninety minutes into the season, I had already said that Bassi would be be Rangers Player of the Year, and I can remember the comments coming up and saying, "Don't be talking about you know, Why, how could he ever ever play ahead of Barisic and all the rest of it?" Well, I, I don't think some people were seeing bigger pictures then. They certainly saw it by the time he played a European final and then was transferred for you know um, record a record fee away from Rangers when it was. Um, you know, going to Ajax. So I think the, the, the other thing is that Rangers look as if they've seen one one player, maybe a couple of players that have actually cut it and everything else has been down to finances and almost again the relief that they've got money into the club again, what they're exactly doing with that, I'm not quite sure. But I think somewhere along the, the, the way you have got to see that if there is going to be an improvement, it's not just in your bank balance, it's actually in your level of performance.
0: David, I mean, it was a strange weekend last, last weekend because came away from Ibrox, really frustrated. You know, I'd done the sort of post-match pod week. And even although we'd won, it was, we were quite disconsolate. You know what I mean? There wasn't a, a happy feeling about the place. And then unexpectedly, Celtic get beat the following day at St mum And and all of a sudden, you're like, Christ, we're only two points behind. But on that Sunday, I got the text from my mate uh, saying, oh, Celtic will beat. And I was like, Christ almighty. And I was like, oh Christ, we're playing Hearts in a couple of weeks. That'll be, that'll be back up to five. You know what I mean? I said, we're at Timecast in a couple of weeks. And that's kind of where I am with Rangers at the moment. You know what I mean? Even when we get some good news and results go away, you tend to think, well, it's just a matter of time before we, we hand those three points back to Celtic and it's back to five points.
1: I can see where you're coming from. Coming away from Ibrox after playing against the D&80s, uh, I, I get that I said to the fellas in front of me for the Brunson Royal, um, good guys, uh, keen students of the game. And I said, they just don't look happy in the book. And there's a, I don't know how to put my, my finger on it. I've seen in the past, I think it was yourself I uh, speaking to one of the fellas for Feyenoord. I think it was when they, it was just as, as G was, was uh, on field. And I think the, the fella to um, said that well, he, he likes to keep the zero but another yeah. thing that, that was mentioned um, for Gio's time in, in Feyenoord was that, he, <laughs> that the fans were very critical at his playing style and, and, and used the term that he plays like a horseshoe the ball gets recycled in the middle of the park goes wide and then goes to the other side but doesn't really come into the centre and I th- come away from IBOX last weekend I thought you know, I, I'd seen enough in Ranger's previous performance to, to um, you know to, to, to be cognizant uh those comments but I thought it really happened last Saturday about there was a ponderous nature to Ranger's play against the United when it was shuffled way. me back thing for me and I know you're will come to play on the show, Ryan Ken. Oh. Oh. You okay David? Can you hear me calling i just yeah, so yeah, I just a up here with the, the, the computer. Um, just, I'll just i keep talking until I can get this back up. Uh I Ryan Kane, he just it he, he looks like a different player. And I, I've been thinking to myself, well, how can we explain this? Is he went away? Is he disinterested? Is he is there a follow um, I just could not uh, couldn't quite put my finger on it. And I was trying to think, Look, you know, for the player's perspective, I'm thinking, What's, what's the, the reason for this? Is, it, is the tactic too rigid? And I think it probably is. I right? think there's, there's probably several um, issues that, that may explain a bit of his form, but that being one of them, I think uh, Kent has scored a goal. i been saying his, his last goal for Rangers was against Red Star uh, in be, the yeah. Maracanã. You know, that's a long time ago. That's back in uh, March. And it is, I think it's even longer since he's, since his last league goal. Um, so, I there's, there's just something not quite right. I think that they need to click into gear. You made a, a, a salient point. The, the, the personnel that took the field against Apley, you okay, know, it's just basically like, like a Steven Gerrard team. And yeah. it's, you know, you, you Questions that are legitimately asked amongst the fan base about what's happening with these new signings. We've by Van Niel We're spending decent money on him. I know he's only 21. I know he's, he's, a, he's a young professional, generally speaking. He's came to a new country, new culture, new club. Um, but the fact he's only made one appearance certainly uh, the best man was against against um, St. Johnson. Um, I my start game on holiday. Uh, I'm, I'm wondering when he's going to get on it. And... Uh, I know, but Vola is obviously um for his place, and he's up to his game. And but you know, we've, we're going to see this guy. Uh, Stuart mentioned there Antonio Cholak. You know, he's been very, very good in terms of putting chances. away but you know, you'd like to think there's more to come to him. So, aye, it's. I think there's, there's still legitimate concerns that that, um, that we need to see. We need to see a bit more in terms of. Of desire, as Stuart rightly mentions, you know, that we shouldn't need you know the, the, the carrot of a, a Champions League uh, group stage appearance to drive the Rangers performances. This should be, you know, there's no automatic in the league. There should be greater desire to go and put the foot in the, the throat early doors, uh, especially when you score early, like we did last weekend, and, and should be you know putting size like in the United to the maybe to, I'd like to try and sum it up. We, we we toiled against a side at the bottom of the league, and at home, and that uh, I've got concerns that as as many Rangers fans do about where we're going in the future. But then, as you mentioned quite rightly, um, twenty four hours later, it's amazing what a result uh, for for our chums can do to, to bolster the the confidence again. And I, and funnily enough, I can worry if I was thinking I I fancy to money a result against them tomorrow. And uh, I'm glad we proved correct because all this chat about him being invincible and all the usual hype about, about ange ball and blah blah blah, and I thought we're, we're ready for a falling and so I it's proved. And I mean the, the, the sort of the
0: negativity Stuart, that's been surrounding the club, you know, it resulted in that sort of video that came out from the club then house interview with, with John Bennett, and he it he, he raised a, a, a couple of a couple of points, you know. I mean, he said he was confident that this is the strongest squad that he's seen at his time at Rangers. And you know something? I think we all kind of felt like that in the summer. When these players were coming in, there was a feeling that, you know, it was time for this team to be broken up. You know, the one fifty five, but there was a few players there. It was time for them to move on. That's happened. It brought, you know, quite a shift in terms of the amount of going out and coming in. But it's just not happened in terms of these players being used and and, and then contributing and uh, the way that they should now. John Bennett was saying that you know we need to give them time. It's, it's very early, it is. But when you link it to the style of play and the results, you know the pressure's rising a wee bit.
2: Yeah, the, the whole thing about giving the players time—you have less time if you sign for Rangers than you have, you know, most at most other clubs. You don't really get. a a season to bed yourself in to suddenly start turning around performances. Performances are almost demanded instantaneously, and that's whether you're the player or or the manager. And, and you've got to try and do two things at once. One, establish yourself, and secondly, give the fans or get the fans uh on your side. I think the squad, the squad is stronger. However, I go back and I and I have not been, you know. I've not been proven wrong in this one, and I go back to my observations right at the start during the summer about some of the, the signings that Rangers were making and who they were being linked with. And a year ago, I said that John McLaughlin was a decent number two to to be had if he was playing, you know, and as backup to McGregor. I, the, as far as I'm concerned, he is still. A decent enough number two, but if you're, if McGregor's not there, you need to go and sign a number one and establish number one, and and I think I think we've been found lacking there this season, and that's a concern because it's not something you're going to be able to put right until the next transfer window or maybe even next next January. He might come back and prove me wrong, but I've actually got. A a pretty good sense when it comes to goalkeepers um, through the years, um, not just at Rangers, but you know, internationally and at other clubs as well. And I just think you know he, he's at, at best a good goalkeeper, not a great goalkeeper. And I think any Rangers side has to have a great goalkeeper, simply because one of how they perform. And again, on. On what has gone previously. But be that you know in in sort of you know my time um watching Rangers, be that what Chris Woods has done or what Andy Gorham did or what Alan McGregor has done, I think that is a level that you're looking for from a Rangers goalkeeper. And I just don't see that them just now. And you know, and, and again again, David is 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 buying on the money, it was one or two of the things that he's saying there. The, there is almost an apathy about Rangers that that even even last week, as you said there, Colin, even at a time where you think you should be celebrating your biggest rivals dropping points unexpectedly, you almost look at the fixer list or fixer card to see where it could go wrong for you rather than how you can capitalize on that. Mm-hmm. And and that's a that's a strange a strange feeling, and I think that goes back to maybe the euphoria of reaching a European final and then winning a Scottish Cup and then the realization that you're going to have to do it all over again. Some some players are up for that kind of challenge, and that's the difference between good players and great players and good Rangers players and great Rangers players, that they want to go again and perform and prove themselves. And I just don't see that appetite among some of them, you know, currently at Ibrox. David, I mean, John Bennett also,
0: also sort of admitted that he felt the, the club had been poor in, in some of its communications with the supporters. I, I mean, I certainly feel, I mean, take the on-field stuff, uh, out of the equation at the moment, I, I certainly feel a lot of unrest amongst the supporters around a, a lot of issues, you know, like my and all that kind of stuff, and you know the amount of emails I get telling me about Castore's next range, and you know just just that feeling that the, the support has been monetized to the absolute limit. That's how I feel, and, and I, I must say that over the summer there I, after this is the, the the most disconnected I've felt for the club. I, I really have. You know, there was, a, there was a time through the summer I was like, you know what, I'll maybe just, you know, sell my season ticket on this season and just go somewhere else and watch my football. Well, because I was I was really struggling with the club, I must admit. Just felt totally pissed off from him. And, and, you know, he's kind of admitted that the, the club have got some, got, got some stuff wrong. So I, I suppose it's, you know, how do we fix that? You know, because I, I do think a, a lot of goodwill has been lost amongst the supporters. And I think the club have got a bit of work to
1: do on that front how do you fix that oh that's a sixty four thousand dollar creation call i think these i think it's important to point out that the reasons for disconnects and you know why we're playing how we're playing and the finances they're manifold and they're complex in some instances um and it's easy to jump to conclusions. It's easy, to, you know, to see the world in, in black and white instead of shades of grey. John Bennett, um, vice chairman, good blue nose. Uh, I like John, um, except when he, he, he kind of slips into Churchillian mode. I think we can do without that, um, that. That applies as much to Douglas Bart when he, he decides to speak as much as John and Dave. King for that matter. Um, but you know leaving aside the off-field finances is fans are caring about the side in the back and what fuels the side in the park when there's you know you mentioned there and sure mentioned there the, the journey to, to Seville and the standard player that Venus have got now I'll go back, I'll head back to, to Calvin Bassett Calvin Bassett for the first time in years years looked the the first Rangers player on, on form, on form, I must caveat, they say, that when he's come from, that looked like the real deal for the first time in arguably, you know, decades since Gascoigne and, and up somebody that looked like top, top level. And at the first um, offer of serious money, the board, in their wisdom, decide to cash in. There's many, many reasons for that and you know it, as fans could cast the game for cashing in. You know, the, the guy could get injured tomorrow and, you know, that asset is, is potentially, you not know, bound. But when you move somebody like Bassey I and you've got to replace them with, you know, players that, that look as though you're, you've got to show a degree of ambition. Now, Stuart, you mentioned there a bit, a bit um, yeah, he's more or less alluding to the fact that the Rangers were saying water. You know, it was almost like it was, was Lapland like stagnation. It was like you know this. If we got into the Champions League, you know that'll get the, the normalisation. or will contribute. Shall I say to the increased normalisation of, of, of the club? Well, from a perspective, from the supporters' perspective, if you go to kind of meet the supporters, part of the way, ensure a level of ambition. Now, she's signing some people like John Suter. You know. It's, uh, I mentioned you know, at the start of the season, I thought that John Seward deserved a show. He's a decent player. And, but you can see why supporters rightly would point the finger and question his sign. You know, we got rid of McClarkattage, we got rid of Liam Balligan and we we'll brought in somebody like John Sutter, who's, who's injury prone, and Ben Davis, who hasn't kicked a ball for us yet, so, you know, in anger, really. And by all accounts, isn't he, you know, isn't he the greatest a half in terms of um, winning the ball in the year? So you question that, you think, what's going on here? They've got to, uh, you know, they've got to cut their cloth they've got to balance the books I get all that but I fundamentally supporters support us we're looking for a level of ambition I don't think like the club have shown that and I think that there's, there's you know, I get that we've got to temper that ambition and see we've got to be realistic where we are and where we are financially. But there has to be a wee bit more, and it's, it's especially exacerbated, as you guys have rightly mentioned yourself, Colin, See when these new signings come in and they don't kick up on, they don't even look as though they're going to be anywhere near the start of the because you've got, you, you start to question it. Is the manager signed them? is it the sporting director that signed them? that the manager's maybe trying to send a message to the board saying, I don't really fancy these players. There's all these, all these kind of unknowns and, and doubts start to legitimately creep in in the minds of the fans. So there's, there's just, we need more. We, as fans, we need to see a level of ambition in terms of the signings. And we need to see a plan and that if something that is coming to fruition. The, John Bennett's on the money and say, and he's, he's, he's 100% correct in saying it's too quick to judge. Of course we'll have a couple of months in. But you know, to, to come to the, the, the side of the supporters, we've not seen enough to suggest that things are going in the right direction. Now, hopefully, once we've got a wee breather, obviously the next game's at, at Time Castle, big game next Saturday, we'd like to see Rangers showing what they're about. Whether they can do that is entirely up to them.
2: Two parts of your question there, Colin, in terms of um, and, 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 and what David alluded to. In terms of the signings and in terms of the communication, Rangers signed two centre-backs without anybody knowing the real reason why Balogun was allowed to be jettisoned or released. And and that's a guy who, given his performance levels in the last 12 months, you really have to start asking questions and hopefully somebody coming forward and explaining to the supporters why he was allowed to leave. Yet you bring two players in who have shown absolutely, combined, they have shown absolutely nothing compared to what that guy had. Had shown over, uh, over a season and I think that's a, another one of the kind of issues that, that fans start to question are we just cash cows or have we just been asked to put our hands in our pockets for Rangers to go and and follow a route or a journey that, that they're comfortable with without finding out the reason why they're actually following this particular path or why they're going doing this particular road
0: and then, uh, in, in terms of the finances, uh, those sure, you know, you know. Again, David kind of alluded to, to there. You know, maybe we have to be realistic. I mean, John Bennett said in this interview that he's he admitted to having sleepless nights about the financial situation, particularly during the COVID season, which raised my eyebrows a wee bit because I, I, I seem to remember the message at the club at that particular point was "We're fine, we're fine, we'll get through this. It's, it's, it's not a huge issue financially," but. I mean, do we need to be realistic financially in terms of, you know, obviously where Rangers were not that long ago, you know, building the club back up again, you know, I've had all these sort of soft loans from investors and from 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 the guys that, that are on the board. Is that a case that we have to be realistic in terms of what Rangers can do in the transfer market?
2: I go back to the communication situation. Why is it that we are now X number of months past the Um, reaching the Europa League final and qualification for the Champions League, why are we so far down the road before anyone at Rangers actually then turns around and said, you know that 30, 35 million, 40 million that we're going to earn from the Champions League, that's just newspaper talk. The actual figure you, you make is something like 22 million or something like that. So let's not get carried away. I, I defy anybody to tell me that there were Rangers fans out there, or anybody who follows the club, who thought that qualification for the Champions League was only going to earn you twenty million plus, and you didn't make, and you didn't make anything like you thought you had made from the Europa League. So it, it's almost like this economy or this false economy has been allowed to to, to fester, and you know having. Arms and legs and bells and whistles added to it to such a time as Rangers fans genuinely think there is a a, a, a level of uh, comfort within the club in terms of how the finances are going. For that suddenly you get blown away over the space of two interviews. For me, for, for me, that's not right. That that can't be right. I mean, you're suddenly there, there is a. I I use the word. I I'll use the word. There is a disillusionment among stranger fans just now where I'm not quite saying they thought this was the land of milk and honey and you're going back to the days of David Murray and spending you know million, millions and millions on backup players no way did I ever think that was going to come around again and I don't think it. I don't think we'll ever see that um despite the best plans from Aberdeen to bring in um, pay for you <laughs> and all the rest of it but the, the, the fact the, the fact the fact of the matter is that you, you thought that these uh, scare stories about finances they were well on the back burner because everything was, was was rosy and all of a sudden you've been knocked on your backside again and it's suddenly like where has this money gone, where has it been spent on, now I know there's money has to be spent on infrastructure and the likes I know that there's, there's the running costs of a club that have to be adhered to and the upkeep of a club but I do think somebody should have basically, you know, pulled their horns in a wee bit weeks and months earlier and brought a bit of a reality check to everybody to say, "Yeah, we're in a good place in terms of what we're doing on the pitch, but financially we could be doing better." Rather than allow it to, rather than allow everybody to get carried away in their dreams and hopes and aspirations about who was going to come to Rangers, to then suddenly find themselves you know, only earned 50% of what they thought they earned. Uh, David, final point, you know, Stuart mentioned David
0: Murray there. Uh, John Bennett also mentioned that, you know, that the current board are are, are very strong and they have a a, a mentality that's kind of never again in terms of, you know, one person owning the club. And I think it's an obvious reference to Craig White. uh, And I think David Murray might be in that sort of Threshold as well, so I mean, I, I I don't want to go back to that. I must admit, you know, there's all these talk talk of sort of takeover rumours or that sort of stuff. If there is going to be someone new coming in, I don't want it to be just one person again. I, I don't want that because we saw what happened. I mean, David Murray he was his own worst enemy. I think you know, he was he was driven by his, his ego. You know, we all know what why he was why he was a crook. You know, I, I think we need numbers in there, you know, a different ownership model that means that there's there's more people there and, and it's not just one person doing whatever they want to do. Oh, yes, I think
1: on the surface of things going that's 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 fair comment. Um, don't forget I mean, David Murray made a point quite early in his tenure that he could never run in the committee. Like I had a point. Um I look, <laughs> Without going too deeply into the, the, uh, the rumour mill, um, which is unhelpful in a general sense, um, I think that this AGM, upcoming AGM, will prove to be quite enlightening to a lot of supporters. Um, obviously, there a couple of weeks back with, with Dave King's open letter to the, to the support. Um, not the greatest of time, and it may just have been coincidence, but I think Dave could have maybe uh, made a phone call to, to avoid that. Um, but Dave knows what buttons they push uh, with the supporters as they join um, that these questions are going to at least get some coverage in the run up to the AGM um, all these um, how should we say fractions, frictions, potential frictions when you've got uh, you know, a number of people having a say and um, how the club is run off the field, um, can either work for you or can work against you. I think it's just we are maybe at the the tail end of, you know, a, a like minded group of people pulling in the same direction. I think it's just it's came at the end of its natural cycle, and there's obviously, you know, the time is 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 ripe almost um, for the situation to move on. Um, I'm, you know, of a mind to kind of partially agree with you in the sense that, yes, we certainly wouldn't want to be um, the the plaything of one, you know, sugar daddy. I don't think that's the, the model that we want to follow. However, there doesn't seem to be an appetite for any fan participation. Unless you know the club, 1872's travails have been well documented, and the faith that the general fund base how have, have or has, I should say, and that vehicle has been tarnished somewhat. You know who set about um, tarnishing it for what reasons is open to debate, and I don't think this is necessarily the forum to talk about it here. But to come back to it, we we need we we need. Um, sound business people in charge of the finances but we need a degree of oversight and I think that that has uh, that's been somehow lost in all this. Um, and we've, we've placed a lot of faith in Blue Noses, whether they're the expats or whether they the local to run the club um, prudently and to satisfy the club's general level ambition and it uh, remains to be seen whether um, that will be made going forward. You know, there, there's obviously there, there's changes of, there, there, there's, the, the club seems to be in a state of flux. There just seems to be you know a lot of unknowns seem manifesting themselves on the pitch at the minute. and um, it will be interesting to see how things pan out. And I just hope that we find a solution that you know we can go forward as one with it a lot of factionalism unnecessarily coming to the fore, uh, because all that will do is, is take divert attentions away from the playing side and we, we need to be, you know, we need to be in the right place collectively, both as a support, as a team, as a management, as a playing staff going forward, but, you know, there's, there's, there would appear to be some uh, some uh, shoots up. Uh, the 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 model maybe starting to bear fruit because the managers gave some chances to, to some young players and you know that's maybe giving us an insight into what the model will be. But you no, know, as fans, you know to try time and answer this succinctly, we kinda we be going to, to, to Amsterdam and getting turned on under I actually agree Ajax with the greatest respect. I, mean, I actually Ajax are the established European club. But let's not forget, we only finished two points had a PSV in the Dutch league last season. And we were the better side over two legs, and we a couple of quality additions in later qualifying for the Champions League. Maybe that four 0 reverse with that maybe not have actually happen, but that's a side show. We just need to, we need to be pulling in the the rest. I think that's the, the best thing to, to, to end on.
0: Anyway right, guys. Before we we talk about the final thing tonight, I have to mention Zenith Coins. Uh, our other partners they uh, produce the official Rangers Club coin uh, each gold-plated coin has a unique serial number engraved on the outer rim and comes complete with a Rangers uh, presentation box and certificate of authenticity uh, famous Rangers fans such as Alan McCoy who are about to talk about uh, Derek Johnson Marvin Andrews uh, Tom Stallman Gordon Ramsay all own one of these collections uh, ZNF have also produced 150 Uh, anniversary collection limited to 1,872 sets worldwide releasing small batches uh, covering five iconic milestones which is the Founding Fathers Ibrox Stadium the 72 Cup Winners Cup uh, in Barcelona nine in a row and the 55th league title Uh, you'll get more info on that at www.zenithcoins.com right guys final topic for tonight uh, and it's Super Ali we thought we would have a wee chat about him since he's 60 fucking 60 year old uh, Stunned and uh, not a good sign, you know. Bruce Springsteen was seventy three last week. Uh, McCoy's has turned sixty. Liam Gallagher's turned fifty. All my heroes are getting old, and it's not much fun. Hey, so, sure I thought we would have a good chat about him. You know, I mean, I mean, obviously as a player, he was just oh, he was in different gravy. Really went in super alley. Uh, had a difficult start to his Rangers career, you know, when he first arrived. Uh, but you know, two golden boots, umpteen league titles. Umpteen, honour goals, just everything you want for a uh, Rangers number
2: nine. Yeah, um, ideal start, going against Celtic after 33 seconds. Yeah. Um, and then forming a, a partnership up front with um, Sandy Clark, uh, lovingly known as Sandra and Allison, for um, a, a, a good wee while because it just did, just did not hit it off or perform to the levels that he could have done. The threat of going to Cardiff City on loan by Jock Wallace completely spurious, uh, just to try and g him up a bit, and then a hat trick against Celtic, a League Cup final, and from there on he never looked back. And you know, in terms of goal scoring, the number of goals, the types of goals, and um, the the importance of the goals, I probably will never see anybody like him again uh, in my lifetime because he he just did it and he got it and every goal. He treated every goal like it was his first goal yeah. and that's what mattered. You know, it was like if he scored X number of goals by Christmas, he then wanted to score the same again before the end of the season. If he scored once, you know, last week, he wanted to score twice next week. And I think, you know, just, just that enthusiasm. If, if, you could have taken that and bottled it and given it to different generations of Rangers players since then, I think you know they would have, you know, they would have quenched their thirst on it because it would have been, it, it would have driven them. It had been the fuel that would have taken them on a different level. And, and again, during his Rangers career, he scored great goals. Injured was almost written off, and then comes back and scores a, a boys' own goal against, um you know, Hibs to win the League Cup, and away he goes again. You know, this time, you know, then in, in partnership with, like say, Gascoigne, when Gascoigne arrived, and you just have to mar- marvel at the levels that he achieved and the longevity. You know, 15 years at Rangers and 355 goals, you know, you, you, you work that out in your head and it's like, did he score that many every season? Well, he scored more than that in a few seasons, but a fantastic servant. And I, I don't think anybody of a certain generation can remember everything that Rangers achieved without putting, you know, McCoy's probably at least five or six or seven, if his goals been in the top 10 in any given, you know, any given year that Rangers were performing at that level. David, I mean, I, I
0: don't really want to talk too much about his managerial career because obviously it didn't go too well. You know, it was a, a traumatic time at the club. Uh, I, I mean, he could probably say he a wee bit unlucky. You know, probably the right man at the wrong time everything that happened. You know, I, I, there was a time I really lost uh, a lot of love for McCoy. So I think the night when we we lost that cup final to Wraith Rovers and, you know, there was, there was images coming out of him on the, the karaoke and all that kind of stuff. There was a long time I was like, you know what, i like, I'm done with you. And, and there was a time when I never, ever thought that would happen because, like, as I said, he signed for the club when I was 10. He was still there when I was, like, in my mid-20s, mid to late-20s. Apart from Davy Cooper, who was my ultimate hero. But during that time, I, I, just, I just I couldn't be asked for him. You know what I mean? I, I just think I was pissed off at the way that things were going at the club and I expected more from him. But there's also the other side of the stuff that McCoy's done, you know, around... the uh, the importance, the important sort of part that he played in ensuring that you know we, we weren't stripped to titles and certain things that other clubs and other organizations wanted to happen, he made sure those things didn't happen. You know, he was he, he, he was pro he probably was the club at one point, the only one standing in our corner. I was certainly there, don't, don't forget Sandy
1: his, at his back, court. yeah. Um, but I, I, I mean. To, to uh, try and sum up my feelings about my coist, No, um, well, he's one of us, so that's, he'll you know, do it for me, when that's concerned. Aye, uh, he's, he, he was, he was definitely in the club's corner um, during that, when that 5 year agreement was, was struck. Uh, I'll be forever indebted to him because if, he hadn't been there. I'm quite sure that Charles Green would have acquiesced to Peter the you know, demands you know, and the living stuff that they saw. I'll be forever thankful that he was there, and he whatever he did, you know, however big or small it was, you know, he obviously played his part. Um, I think where his managerial uh, tenure is concerned, I think it's too easy to jump to conclusions. Don't get me wrong. I'm totally 100% with you with regards to poor results like they threw over and you know, there were a few others in there, um, obviously going at Palmerston when he finally get his, um, make it the bad news, you know, um, but I think that there's so, so much that must have been going in the background with, with the club then that he, I think, I think it's understated how much he tried to hold it all together and, and this... It's all very well, you know, saying that I, he's, he's a class. You know, he'd always to laugh and joke. You know, he's obviously hiding things. Stuart was talking about his career there, his playing career. I mean, when he was talking about the, the, the thing, the image that came into my mind there was the judge as soon as tried to him, and he was determined. He was he wasn't going to let some 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 defend, but chase him away he's his dream and he stayed there and he, he stayed in power and he saw after Graham soon as, and he went on he, to become one of the, the most decorated players in the club's history the leading goal scorer and that's testament to, to his character and didn't it happen for him uh, the managerial side but you can't have everything in life got I mean, the guy you know well he pretty much got everything else though didn't he you know what I mean well you know, yeah. he, 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 he'd, he'd achieved enough in a playing sense, that you know, that he couldn't possibly you know, go on and become a, a top level manager, could he really? I mean, it's, it's like you know, it's like Alec Ferguson, you know, had a, had a, had a modest career, you know, yeah, and he went on to become a, a class manager, you know, one of the, the best managers, certainly one of the best managers the Britain's ever produced. Um, so maybe it's just the you know, the odds, yeah, you know, Alec had used up all his, his favours with the, the football and guys early on. <laughs> Um, but a, a tremendous Tremendous goal score. I can, I can mind Quite vividly. Being in the, the Main stand Of my old man um, When the, the Coatman was Telling him Where to go In the Dundee Yeah, yeah. the Dundee, and, Dundee game Yeah yeah. Um, and other games As well For me I mean, It wasn't just That game And uh, he Turned it in uh, You mentioned The uh, 84 League Cup Final That game sticks in the memory Because um, It was the first game I think I'm been seen. this That they were Playing with Delta Balls dealt us. And he uh, he played superbly that day. And uh, I look, Ali had bloody know he's name for up. Looking far up, I've of applauding. So I'm uh, happy, birthday, Ali. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, there was I mean, a time a when, time.
0: when uh, there was a time when I was struggling with him. I wasn't that when he was a manager, but you know, time's a great healer, and he's he's super in my eyes again. There's no doubt about it. Uh, so guys, looking at the time, I think we'll, we'll, we'll call time there. So a big thanks to, to, to Stuart and David for their contributions there. And obviously to Adam earlier on, uh, giving us a insight to his book. So get on that. You'll get it on Amazon or the Hartland website. Uh, we were live tonight. We we're live on a Sunday night, but the show will be available to download and stream on a variety of platforms from tomorrow, including Acast, iTunes, YouTube, Castbox, Stitcher, Spotify, all your usual places, guys. Uh, We'll have a preview show out on Friday night uh, for the the, the Hearts game next Saturday, and obviously we'll have uh, the show next Sunday night at half nine as well. Uh, So, in the meantime, get yourself onto the Gersnet website and
1: forums at www.gersnet.co.uk And until next week, bye for now.